This program is made possible by the support of the members of the show. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Colbert Report, The New Left Media, The Young Turks, The Daily Show, The Rachel Maddow Show, Funny or Die, and Real Time with Bill Maher, with a bonus video clip today for our iPhone app users from The Colbert Report. Despite the apparent downsides, this bill is the best thing for the Republicans, and the reason is tonight's word. Napoleon Bonaparte. Now, some viewers may be ignorant of European history. Well, back in 1815, Napoleon was defeated at the Belgian town of Waterloo, and he was sent into exile on the island St. Helena. That's how they punish dictators in Europe. They send them to an island with a limited wine list. The point is, this tyrant was destroyed. And back in July, my senator, South Carolina's Jim Kremdement, made this bold prediction. If we're able to stop Obama on this, it will be his Waterloo. Yes, except no. You see, Obama passed the bill, which some say makes health care actually the Republican Waterloo. Like former Bush speechwriter David Frum, who wrote on his blog, conservatives and Republicans today suffered their most crushing legislative defeat since the 1960s. We followed the most radical voices in the party and the movement, and they led us to abject and irreversible defeat. But Frum, who will be my guest this Thursday, is jumping to conclusions about this. Jim DeMint knows this crushing defeat could be a glorious victory. You said that this was going to be Barack Obama's Waterloo, and that if Republicans could defeat him on this, it would break him. Well, he won Waterloo, it looks like. So I guess my question to you is, what do you do next? We'll find out in November uh, who won or lost this battle. That's right. The Republicans may have lost the health care fight, but that just sets them up for the real win in November now that their base is fired up. The danger is... <laughs> danger is seven months from now, voters might forget how angry they are that their guaranteed health coverage was achieved through parliamentary tricks. So, I say, <laughs> to guarantee a win in November, the GOP needs to keep losing now. I mean, lose on financial regulation, immigration, campaign finance reform, don't ask, don't tell, everything. Let Obama roll you like a wino. Then, <laughs> then, if you do that, Republicans will have a clear path to triumph in November. Though, of course, now that we have learned from Jim DeMint that for Republicans, defeat is actually victory, they really should lose in November, too. <laughs> and I say, go for it, guys. <laughs> it will fire up the base for a big win in 2012. And... <laughs> Senator DeMint, don't forget that you're up for re-election this year, too. Just imagine the victory for all Americans if you lost.
For the purposes of this episode, every time you hear this sound, you're about to hear something insane said at an actual Tea Party rally. These statements are included for educational purposes only and should not be confused as anything that would be endorsed by the management of this podcast or any clear-thinking, well-informed person. Concerns with the current uh, administration. Uh, socialist agenda, tyranny. Yeah. Yeah. And what are some of the things they're doing that are, are make you think that they're moving towards a, a tyrannical or socialist government? Well, the the health care, mandatory health care. Yeah. That's one thing. Um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, our government's come to the point where they're telling you you have to do that or we're going to put you in jail. No, that's wrong. Do you think that's a concern? Uh, that's more than a concern. Yeah. That's wrong. It's not in here. Anybody under six, over 65 is dispendable, and that they shouldn't expect to be treated. They should be go to the younger people who can make more money to, for the government. My outfit is a volunteer to represent that we are limited in our freedoms today. They're trying to get control of the country so that they can run every business and run every person in this country and tell them what they can do and when they can do it and tax us to death. We've all worked hard for our money. We're senior citizens and now they're telling us we can't even get medical care because they're going to give us a pill. All day staring at the ceiling making this episode is being sponsored by Audible. They're the world's largest resource for downloadable audio content like books, periodicals, premium podcasts, and more. For a limited time until June 30th, Audible is offering listeners of this show a free audiobook download of your choice. It's a pretty good deal. Simply visit audiblepodcast.com slash best. That's audiblepodcast.com slash best. And I don't know. That leads us to Solomon Solly Borel. He is a conservative blogger, and uh, he got so worked up that he put out a tweet today in his infinite wisdom that said, quote, assassination in big block letters with an exclamation point. America, we survived. The assassinations of Lincoln and Kennedy will surely get over a bullet to Barack Obama's head. Well, what that is is and direct incitement to violence, to killing the President of the United States. And it is wholly illegal. And obviously a disastrous idea. Well, he wasn't done yet. He tweeted again. He said, quote, the next American with a clear shot should drop Obama like a bad habit. Forget blacks or his claim to be black. Turn on Barack Obama. Now, there's got to be some consequences to this. I mean, right now we hear that the Secret Service is looking into it. Uh, hell yeah, they better be looking into it. That is unreal. Here's a guy who's part of the conservative blogging network. It's not like he's a commenter on a random blog or anything like that. He is one of their bloggers, one of their legitimate, established bloggers. And he's saying, let's put a bullet in the president's head. Look, I mean, do I have to tell you what the consequences would have been if a liberal blogger had said that about George W. Bush? 
All right. So look, we, we right now Twitter says, oh well, we're gonna you know they took down those two tweets because that's in violation of their policy. Really? Well, if that ain't in violation of your policy, I don't know what is. As we went to air, they had not deleted his account yet. Now, they should pull his account. Uh, they said they were going to, but they didn't. Okay, I don't know if they will eventually or not, right? Uh, and as I told you, the Secret Service says that they're looking into it. But you should definitely look into this. Because, look, there are a lot of crazy people that listen to these blogs that get encouraged by the Republican congressmen, the Republican commentators, whether they're on TV or the radio, or whether they're conservative bloggers. You think he's not going to get somebody riled up enough to actually do this? This is as direct an incitement to violence as I have ever seen. A clear violation of the law. They should come down on Sully Farrell like a ton of bricks. This is not a First Amendment issue. You don't get to say, hey, let's kill the president. If you've got a clear shot, take it. You don't get to say that. That is not part of the First Amendment. So if they don't win politically, what they do is they want to win through other means, maybe by any means necessary. And that's what I'm afraid of, that they've become so radical that they're never going to win the majority again in the country. But with that frustration, what are they going to do? They're going to do what their commentators have been telling them all throughout. Grab your gun. That is a very, very scary proposal, very scary idea, and it's got to be nipped in the bud. There's got to be consequences for this kind of talk. Later, of course, Sally Farrell comes out and says, well, backpedal, backpedal, I mean, we shouldn't, uh, um, P.S., no good American would ever want to see something happen to our POTUS. Dude, you just said shoot him in the head. What does that mean? He says, uh, why does our POTUS have so little regard for our health care opinion. This ain't about health care reform in your opinion on that. You just said shoot the guy in the head. So he puts out a couple of tweets like, oh, no, 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 I would never say against anything against the President of the United States. You saw the first one. It said in bold letters, assassination. How much clearer did you need to be, Sully? There's got to be consequences, legal consequences. Pistol shots. I believe going to be the end of the life as we know it in America. Oh, which issues do you believe are going to be the end of life we know in America? Well, the, the the socialist angle. I mean, you know, the progressives have perverted. But I mean, which issues specifically? Um, the tyranny of the government. Do you know that President Obama is considering banning fishing in America? Fishing. Maybe I have lost my mind or have been drugged by some narcotic. Maybe I'm in a movie called 1984 or I'm just idiotic. There's a communist living in the White House. Everybody, there's a communist!
think the message of the Tea Party movement is that you, that you hope they get out? Freedom, more freedom, liberty. For you so proud and powerful, the devil bring you luck. Go searching for your solace when your name goes through the muck. When every breath you take will be a thorn in good men's sight. Then even you might beat the drums of freedom. For maidens in the morning who wake with reddened eyes, remembering lovers lost in rising with the lark's first prize, and never tasting love again till youth is almost gone. Well, even you will beat the drums of freedom. Of MSNBC's The Rachel Maddow Show. She's also hosting the upcoming special, The McVeigh Tapes, Confessions of an American Terrorist. Please welcome back to the program, Rachel Maddow. I didn't want to miss anything. All right, sit down. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, we're delighted to have you on the program. Uh, although, it's very serious, uh, the uh, the special that you're doing, the uh, uh, McVeigh tapes. Mm -hmm. Are these tapes, have people heard these before? This is in, in McVeigh's own words. What, what, this is McVeigh himself. Nobody's ever heard this before. There were two journalists who McVeigh handpicked to tell his story to after he was convicted while he was awaiting execution. No, he knew he was going to be killed. And he did... 30, 40 hours of audio tapes with them in jailhouse interviews in which he confessed. He talked about his motivations. He talked about how he did it. And we boiled that audio essentially down to a two-hour documentary where you can hear Timothy McVeigh in a way that nobody's ever heard him. Because he never confessed or, or, or talked about the crime at length to prosecutors, to anybody. So this is the first time we've heard it. Is it, it when you listen to it, is your first impression, oh, he's a, he's a sociopath, he's a psychopath, and, and he's, or is he still rationalizing? What, what do you see as his mindset in all this? I, I mean, he seems like a sociopath, definitely. Right. But he's... He sees himself as not only having done exactly what he intended, but it having had the effect that he intended. He was really waging war on the U.S. government, but he also saw himself as not a lone wolf. He saw himself as coming from the patriot movement, coming from the sort of militia-associated gun rights patriot movement, and he was standing up for what happened at Waco, what happened at Ruby Ridge. And now, was he disappointed awesome. then that they distanced themselves from him? Was he expecting more of a hero's welcome? Was he expecting a different response than what he got? It's a good question because he wasn't really martyred to that movement in the all. way yeah, that they... he wanted to be. And I actually think that's in part a way of the, the very sober, one foot in front of the other way that they prosecuted him and that they put him on trial. I mean, that was done in exactly the right way. And nobody, I don't think McVeigh is a hero to anybody, even the people who really agreed with him. But in terms of whether or not he was disappointed, he saw himself as triumphant. He said at one point, right. listen, I, I look at it in the crudest terms and say 168 to 1. You can kill me, and I'm still ahead. It's just, it's just wow. yeah. How do you not see? My problem with everything is, is I, I intellectually I feel like, boy, uh, how can human beings kill another human being? But boy, viscerally, you just want to be in that room and pull his throat out through his face. You know, it's it's very difficult for me to reconcile those two aspects of of my well, persona. 
Yeah, and I mean, I, I feel the same way about like Bin Laden. You know, I, I, I believe that I could kill Osama Bin Laden with a spoon. I, 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 would, I would enjoy that if, because he's a cold-blooded killer, right? Oops. Um, why, so now, that. why, just out of curiosity, why do you pick a breakfast implement? <laughs> I'm just very unusual that someone would, uh, something you would it's, use for jello as well. Very interesting. It says more about my feelings about spoons than it does about him, really. <sighs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> is it? Did you have to force yourself to sit in a room and listen to this? I'm always torn with the idea of: Do I want to uh, subject myself to this? Do I want to bring it to a larger audience? Or is it important? I always think it's important for people to hear information. It's important for people to hear it, and and it's also really, I think, important to be responsible with how you present it because he's so proud of himself. Mm -hmm. He talks about it in a way that justifies what he did. And so you don't essentially want to give them a soapbox to make that case. And so I think you have to be careful in presenting it to always contextualize it against the harm that he caused, the actual people that he killed, and a reality check what he's doing. The dark side of it is that he really did see himself as part of an anti-government movement right. in the United States. And we, all, we have that to a greater or lesser degree over time in the U.S. And right now, I think we are experiencing an upswing again in sort of anti-government extremism. And that's not to say that the next Timothy McVeigh is out there, but it is to say that people should be not encouraging government uh, violence against government right. institutions and, and well, people. The, yeah, the encouraging, the, that's, that's always tough. But I always get nervous. You know, it's the same case that was made against rappers in the 90s. There was that sense of like, you know, you put out a song and these rappers, they come out with these lyrics and then people go out and they kill cops. And you always think like, oh no, crazy people would hear that. Yes. So I'm always, you know, uh, understanding that rhetoric is important. You can't legislate or, or even be to the lowest or craziest denominator amongst us. The, the thing I always point to that makes me crazy is overpasses. A couple of idiots threw a butterball turkey off an overpass once in Ohio, I think, like 20 years ago. And now there's 15-foot fences no matter where you drive. And I always think, like, man, we can't have nice things, can we? <laughs> because well, we have to legislate to the dumbest and the craziest amongst us. Well, but the First Amendment stops us from doing that. The First right. Amendment protects even the worst speech. And so, you know, it, it protects the most heinous things. And I actually, even in politics... I really like bombastic rhetoric. I like people going over the top and using hyperbole and being uh, being a little nuts. I think it's exciting. I'm in cable, right? <laughs> but, but I, I, it's, it's our food. It's, it's our mana. It's what we right. live for. I also for. find it enjoyable. I think I think it's fun. I think it makes for a good, healthy right. democratic discourse. But don't lie uh, or expect to get called out when you lie. And don't threaten to shoot people or encourage the shooting of people. Let's just... You know, I think that. that's a fun. That, I, if I saw that engraved on a plaque somewhere, I would think this is a reasonable place of business. I don't have a problem. <laughs> I don't have a problem with this place. Do not threaten to shoot people. And that, I, I, I think those would be lovely rules. Don't lie and don't threaten. It's, it's, it's interesting. That's almost Ten Commandment-ish in some it's respects. Two, two commandments. Two, two commandments-ish. Commandment yes. Moses came down and said, it was too heavy. I only do that with two. <laughs> Well, I'm looking, the two uh, uh, exactly. I got two of them because my back is. All right. The uh, uh, the McVeigh tapes. Boy, that's a tough segue. Yeah. The McVeigh tapes. Uh, but it's a really fascinating uh, special, and I commend you on even delving into it the way that you did. The McVeigh tapes air on MSNBC April 19th, 9 p.m. Rachel Maddow. I'm coming round to open.
bumper stickers, you know, what yeah, yeah, specifically? Yeah. Talking points, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, Fox News talking what points. Specifically, you lost me for a second. What specifically? Uh, what specific issues do you hmm. consider to be what's going to destroy life in, the, in America? Well, I, I believe unfair taxation is, is one of them. Yeah. Uh, the redistribution of wealth is another one. And you think that's been happening under Obama's administration? Absolutely, man. The full full force. Did you uh, know that he's uh, lowered taxes for 95% of working Americans? Um, that was when he first got in office, and you're talking a matter it's the, of it's this a matter of $15 a week for someone, you know, and and beyond that. All the other onerous taxes getting shoved under the rug that we're not seeing. They've actually lowered taxes for 95% of working Americans? I would say that would be false. That would be false. I mean, now they're talking about a VAT tax. You just, you just don't believe it? No. There were $300 billion in tax credits given out to middle-class families uh, by uh, the Obama administration in this Congress with the Making Work Pay Credit. $400 for an individual, $800 for a couple. Where's who at? The, where's those middle-class families at? I don't see those middle-class families. I'm a middle-class family. I didn't receive a tax credit or a tax cut. I have to go to work every day hard to work to get the, the money to pay my light bill, to pay my water bill, to pay my house. If you didn't fill out for that tax cut in your IRS paperwork, they will go ahead and adjust it and send that back to you. I think you're misinformed. Excellent report in Reuters about the militia movement. Uh, first of all, uh, there are now 200 armed militias in the United States. That number has quadrupled since 2008, since Obama's election. And now there are 6,000 members and many other adherents that aren't necessarily signed up members that are on the rolls. So what happened in these short amount of time that led to a quadrupling of the militia movement in the United States of America. Well, uh, the Reuters lists a number of uh, reasons that the militia members themselves give. One is the 9-11 attacks, which revived the notion that citizens should defend the United States against threats. Did 9-11 happen in 2008? Oh, no, right, that happened in 2001. What the hell would that have to do with quadrupling after 08? Point number two, the 2001 Patriot Act. The 2001 Patriot Act, I don't remember these militias going nuts during Bush's administration. No, they were quiet as a church mouse. Um, number three, anger at government failure to stop mass illegal immigration from Latin America. Again, even if you take that as their real concern, great, that was the same exact situation under Bush, which they claimed to be so angry about back then, but they weren't grabbing their guns. Final two reasons, the recent recession, the worst since the 1930s, that's fair, and that does get a lot of people upset, especially if they lose their jobs, et cetera. And yeah, you know, it might be Bush's fault in the first place. He's the one that started it. They either don't remember that or don't care. The bottom line is they're mad, right? Uh, and then, huh, let's look at the last reason. 
the election in 2008 of President Barack Obama. Huh, yeah, that might have something to do with it. Yeah. And then, by the way, reason number six is health care reform. <laughs> they claim that they're constitutionalists and they're here to protect the country against good health care treatment. What does that have to do with anything with, with militias? It has absolutely nothing to do with it. It's a joke. Oh, no, the government's infringing it upon our rights like they did when they tried to take away our automatic weapons. Treating your kid for cancer is the same as taking away your automatic weapons? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. They just wanted to grab the weapons. To give you a sense of what they're doing here, the main guy they interviewed uh, was a person from Southeast Michigan Volunteer Militia. Okay? And uh, now, to be fair to them, understand that that militia, for example, got contacted by the Hutari, who were trying to kill the cops, and they got arrested. And they did not uh, help the Hutari. And they called the cops and said, no, these guys are crazy. Okay? And when you read the article, I mean, look, of course, they sound like perfectly normal Americans. They go to barbecues. Now, they shoot things at barbecues. But still, that's fine. That's pretty American anyway. And uh, it, one of the wives uh, of the, one of the leaders is uh, Greek, and she brings baklava, and they all want the baklava. It's cute. It's like a cute little scene, and the guy works for UPS, and everything's fine. Until you read this stuff, right? First, he says that he's really worried because uh, at any moment they're on hair trigger. He literally carries around what he calls a football with him. But that if something goes wrong, every militia member knows where to go, where to get their guns, where to meet up, and how to take action. So what would go wrong? What, what, what could possibly happen? He says, well, if the world comes crashing down, or one day, quote, the communist Chinese or the Venezuelans or whoever come marching across the border. We're under imminent attack by the Venezuelans? I mean, that's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I mean, that's you're just looking for any kind of reason to make up in your head. You're playing Dungeons and Dragons inside your own head. Oh, here comes the communist Chinese and the Venezuelans. Where? Where are they coming from? And he's on hair trigger for this. Get a load of what they have their training. Uh, they have learned how to make a bow from sapling and fashioning rock into a razor-sharp knife. He says, quote, I carry as part of my battle gear a rifle and 290 rounds of ammo. I feel very good about that. If I can use a knife and fashion a bow, I use that to feed my family. I can save the ammo for dropping the bad guys. Hoo-ah! By the way, of course, that gentleman has never served in the military. <laughs> so instead, he's been out in the woods, like getting ready for the Venezuelan. Now, that's that particular militia. And then there are the Oath Keepers, which are a little bit more troublesome, if you ask me. They're, they're, uh, a lot of them are part of the military, and they say that they are ready to ignore uh, orders given by the military and do what they think is right if they feel that they have an unconstitutional order given to them. So what are the scenarios that they envision for them grabbing their weapons and going to their different hideout in the woods? They say that they are ready to ignore uh, any order to, quote, uh, blockade American cities, thus turning them into giant concentration camps, and any order to support the use of any foreign troops on U.S. soil against the American people. Any chance that we're going to, what, have, what, Iranian soldiers brought in by our government? Who? Who? Uh, South African soldiers? I don't know. Thai soldiers? Okay, now, everybody. Uh, round them up, blockades, concentration camps, the tire here, and so are the Bulgarians. Foreign troops on U.S. soil. I mean, they're in fantasy land. The problem is they got 290 rounds of ammo apiece. And as the experts uh, interviewed by Reuters explained, 
Hey, listen, the problem isn't that they're all, all 6,000 members of these militias, et cetera, are going to go literally ballistic and attack at, at the drop of a hat. The problem is the lone wolves, that they rile certain people up, and then that guy goes and acts on his own. For example, Tim McVeigh was part of a militia, and then he got all riled up, and then he dropped out of the militia, and the next time anybody heard from him, he killed 168 people by bombing a federal building. And now we have the Hutari, who actually acted in unison and weren't killed the cops, and they got arrested. We got the guy who was not part of a militia movement, but was so anti-government, he ran his uh, plane into an uh, IRS building, and it builds and it builds. And does it have something to do with the fact that we have a Democratic president? Of course it does. Remember how the militia went nuts when Clinton was president? Does it have something to do with the conservative talk show hosts riling him up, talking about the Obama regime as Rush Limbaugh calls it. He never called it the Bush regime. And do they stoke those fires? Of course they stoke those fires. And then they'll turn around and say, what, what, what? What are you talking about? Oh, all those people acted by themselves and we had nothing to do with it. And this militia movement is probably about health care or 9-11. It's absolutely unbelievable. Revolution never come with a warning. A revolution never sends you an omen. A revolution just arrived like the morning. Bring the alarm, we come to wake up the snoring. They're telling you to never worry about the future. They're telling you to never worry about the torture. They're telling you that you will never see the horror. Spend it all today and we will build you tomorrow. Three piece suits and bank accounts in Bahamas. Wall Street crime will never send you to the slammer. Tell all the children in the of the mamas, the F-15 is a homicide bomber, TV commercial for a pop pill culture, drug companies circling like a vulture, Amaraki babies with the G.I. Joe father, 10 years from now is anybody gonna bother you? Hogwash. You don't, you don't, you just don't no. believe that? No, that's absolutely it's a not tax right. credit, a tax cut. I'm sorry? You were saying it was a right. tax credit, right? Yeah, that's different than a tax cut. No. No <laughs> what? Anybody that believes that is not really paying attention. And ultimately, we should all be paying up our own fair share of the taxes because we all live in this country. When you hose the rich, you hurt America because I've never worked for a poor person. Uh, the gentleman I work for now is a wealthy individual. He's, he ne wasn't always wealthy, but he built his business up and is now a millionaire. God bless America. If we have people making billions upon billions of dollars, you, you think they should pay more, though, right? You certainly no, they don't. They have the right to earn that money. Nobody has the right to take it away from them. So you don't think that uh, billionaires should pay more taxes than you? No, I don't. I think it should be a flat rate. Do you struggle financially at all ever? Or do you... Absolutely. Yeah, I struggle to make my house payment every month. I love hearing from listeners who write in to tell me about how this show positively impacts their lives. It reinforces the idea that what I'm doing really may be making a little bit of a difference. What I love even more is that it's the support of the listeners themselves which makes this show possible. If you appreciate the service this show provides, you can make individual donations or become a member and donate $5 a month or even save a couple of bucks by paying for a year in advance. Member support gives me the time it takes to produce 10 shows per month, and in return, members receive access to bonus audio and video content through members-only raw feeds. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestofleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. I 
tonight, um, actually somewhat unusually, with this. This is a tuning fork. It's a U-shaped piece of metal on a, on a short, straight base. And when you whack a tuning fork on a hard surface, the U-shaped part of it starts to thrum. You can't really see it moving. When you're holding it, you, you can't even really feel it moving. The only way you can tell that the tuning fork has been struck, the only way you can tell that it is in motion, that it is producing a vibration of a specific frequency, is when you do this. When you ground it this way, then the tuning fork speaks. It sings out the pitch for which it is tuned, which it was humming all along silently until you knew to ground it in order to evoke that sound. That kind of thing um, happens sometimes in politics too. It happens a lot in politics about rights uh, and about race. There's intellectual motion, there's belief, there's strongly held, often surprising views that no one really wants to talk about, that no one really hears. They're there, but we don't hear them until all of a sudden something happens and everybody freaks out. Last night on this program, I had an interview with Kentucky's Republican Senate candidate, Rand Paul, an interview that did not go at all as I had expected. Dr. Paul had been asked by NPR earlier in the day about his views on federal protections for civil rights. Now, I imagine the reason that NPR brought it up in their interview with him is because it really had been an issue in his campaign. The biggest newspaper in Kentucky, the Louisville Courier-Journal, asked Dr. Paul the same thing last month. Would you have voted for the Civil Rights Act of 1964? I like the Civil Rights Act in the sense that it ended discrimination in all public um, uh, domains, and I'm all in favor of that. But? <laughs> You had to ask me the but. Um, I don't like the idea of telling private business owners. I abhor racism. I think it's a bad business decision to ever exclude anybody from your restaurant. But at the same time, I do believe in private ownership. But I think there should be absolutely no discrimination in anything that gets any public funding. And that's most of what the Civil Rights Act was about, uh, to my mind. Most of it. Dr. Paul's belief that government shouldn't tell private business it can't put up, say, a no black people allowed sign, uh, that belief is the reason that that newspaper, the Louisville Courier-Journal, did not endorse him in his primary. They didn't endorse either him or his opponent. By the way, I should mention, Dr. Paul said last night on our air that the Courier-Journal never endorses Republican candidates. That is not true. Uh, they've endorsed plenty of Republican candidates over the years. Uh, you see some of them scrolling here. They just didn't endorse Rand Paul or his opponent, Trey Grayson, in this particular race. Again, in part because of Dr. Paul's views on civil rights, views that he expanded on here last night on this show. Do you think that a private business I, has I'm a right in, to say I'm we don't in, serve I'm black people? In, yeah, I'm not in favor of any discrimination of any form. I would never uh, belong to any club that excluded anybody for race. We still do have private clubs in America that can discriminate based on race. But I think what's important about this debate is not getting into any specific gotcha on this, but asking the question, what about freedom of speech? Should we limit speech from people we find abhorrent? Should we limit racists from speaking? I don't I don't want to be associated with those people, but I also don't want to limit their speech in any way. For the record, I, I, I had other stuff to ask Rand Paul about last night, but we ended up stuck on that one issue for 20 minutes, including blowing through our commercials. I'm very sorry to our sponsors and to my boss. Uh, but we stuck with it because I wasn't able to get a definitive answer from him on it.
Should Woolworth lunch counter should have been allowed to stay segregated? Sorry, just yes or no. What I think would happen, what, what I'm saying is, is that I don't believe in any discrimination. I don't believe that any private property should discriminate either. And I wouldn't attend, wouldn't support, wouldn't go to. Wouldn't attend, wouldn't support, wouldn't go to, but also apparently wouldn't support the government making that kind of discrimination illegal. Despite talking about that one thing for 20 minutes, in many ways our conversation was woolly on the specifics. In me chasing him trying to get an answer and in him running from being forced to give an answer, I actually think that we rounded the edges of the factual thing that we were talking about. So. I would like to be specific um, about why this is a big deal, why it was worth staying on one topic, one question for so long, and why I think this might be important, not just for the Senate race in Kentucky, but as sort of a, a tuning fork moment, an opportunity to hear some stuff in American politics, in American history, that is thrumming all along, but is very rarely heard. Dr. Paul spoke favorably of the Civil Rights Act in general last night, except he said for one part of it. There's 10 different titles, you know, to the Civil Rights Act, and nine out of 10 deal with public institutions, and I'm absolutely in favor of. One deals with private institutions, and had I been around, I would have tried to modify that. I do defend and believe that the government should not be involved with institutional racism or discrimination or segregation in schools, busing, all of those things. But had I been there, there would have been some discussion over one of the titles of the civil rights there would have been some discussion over one of the titles of the civil rights act it would have tried to modify the one title that deals with private institutions to be clear um, this is the civil rights act of 1964 you see it here there are 11 titles to it if you include the miscellaneous section the title that dr paul is raising his objections to is uh this one Title II. Title II of the 1964 Civil Rights Act states, quote, all persons shall be entitled to the full and equal enjoyment of the goods, services, facilities, privileges, advantages, and accommodations of any place of public accommodation as defined in this section without discrimination on the ground of race, color, religion, or national origin. That is some of the more eloquent legalese of the whole of American statutory law, Title II of the Civil Rights Act. In, in practical terms, what it means is that any private business, a hotel, a motel, a restaurant, a lunch counter, a theater, a concert hall, a stadium, any private business that offers services to the general public cannot discriminate. It ended, for example, Woolworth's lunch counters practice of only serving white people. It made, illegal, made it illegal for a private business owner in Georgia, like, say, Lester Maddox, to ban black patrons from his restaurant. Mr. Maddox is seen here in this picture running an African-American man out of his restaurant at gunpoint. In Mr. Maddox's right hand, you can see a short-nosed revolver. Mr. Maddox's son is holding a pickaxe handle. When Lester Maddox later made his successful run for governor of Georgia, the pickaxe was adopted as the symbol of his campaign. The pickaxe, symbolizing the purported heroism of his efforts to keep his business white only, against the law. The reason we talk about this chapter in our country's history as the fight for civil rights is because it was a fight. There were two sides to it. There was the civil rights movement, activists pushing for equal access to the rights and privileges of citizenship for black Americans. And there was another side that was pushing back 
Pro-segregation forces weren't just violent hoods, thugs in the streets, riotous forces, rogue policemen, individual bigots. The violence is what we all remember about that era, but there was also a very fervent intellectual and political side to the pro-segregation forces as well. Beyond the home state Southern segregationist politicians defending the way their states had always done things, there were also national figures who took the Southern side. People like William F. Buckley, founder of the modern day conservative movement. In 1957, Mr. Buckley wrote this about the civil rights struggle. Quote, the central question that emerges is whether the white community in the South is entitled to take such measures that are as are necessary to prevail politically and culturally in areas in which it does not predominate numerically. The sobering answer is yes. The white community is so entitled because for the time being, it is the advanced race. In 1960, Mr. Buckley wrote, quote, a sharp distinction must be made in evaluating the activity of the young Negroes on the march in the South. The first is that private property remains private. A Negro does not have the right to enter a privately owned restaurant whose proprietors choose, for whatever reasons, to bar access to it to non-whites. It is a right guaranteed to an American entrepreneur to refuse to do business with whomever he likes. William F. Buckley later said he regretted taking those stances. Now you can say, as Rand Paul did last night, that you don't support the violence, the people who were actually physically beating civil rights demonstrators while they were fighting against segregation. Who would say they side with that? But do you think they had a point, regardless of how those people beating the protesters tried to make their point? Do you side with the intellectuals, with the politicians who weren't throwing the punches and murdering people, but who did argue that private business has the right to discriminate and the government is wrong to stop it? This isn't theoretical. This isn't a lifetime ago. This is modern American history. And apparently we don't all agree that when the federal government decided in 1964 that it would stop private businesses from discriminating, that was a good thing. If the government today stops a Pennsylvania pool from kicking out black kids, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is Bob Jones University allowed to ban interracial dating by its students? It's a private university. If it's not allowed to ban interracial dating, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And transcending race, if there is such a bright, even burning bright dividing line between private and public, can businesses refuse to serve Jews too? Baptists? Are fire codes unconstitutional? How about the minimum wage? Does the government have the right to tell BP that it ought to use safety technology to prevent spills when it drills offshore? Is it an unconstitutional overreach to tell liquor stores they can't sell liquor to kids? Can the government inspect meat? Should it say you can't put lead in those pacifiers you're manufacturing? Libertarian is not a five-syllable shorthand word for Republican. It is a really specific worldview about the appropriate reach of federal law in this country. And when you are auditioning for a role as part of the federal government's highest lawmaking body, which makes laws for everyone in this country, questions about what you believe is the appropriate reach of federal law ought to be expected. And the answers, the answers to those questions sometimes reopen debates that no one anywhere near the mainstream of American politics had any idea we're still controversial
battlefield of a new civil war. And the greatest part of that battlefield is the global warming battle. Now I know that in American speak, you have a word for global warming. Can someone tell me what it is? Altogether, global warming is? Other, other other legislative topics are going to be coming up that you're concerned about with uh, regulation reform, immigration reform, or cap and trade? Yeah, absolutely. Immigration reform is huge, you know, and an uh, overwhelming majority of the people in this country want our borders secured. My attitude is, I don't care who you are, what country you come from, come here legally. Yeah. What should happen with the people who are here already? Come here legally. The borders should be closed, the illegals, it's fine for people to come here, but they should come here legally. And what do you think should happen to those who are already here? To what? The people who are already here. The people already here, they should go home. of millions of folks. That's Lance Baxter, who's better known as D.C. Douglas. Recently, he called an organization called Freedom Works. Left a Tea Party group a nasty voicemail. Here's the voicemail. You need to know uh, what the percentages of people that are mentally retarded who work for the organization. Wondering how to spin it when one of your members does actually kill somebody. Hey, that is a really good voice. This guy, apparently, is no fan of the Tea Party. Freedom Works President Matt Kibbe elevating the rhetoric. He's railing against Freedom Works for posting right. his private voicemail. <laughs> That's right. You're talking about me, D.C. Douglas L. Baxterstein, famous actor and voiceover artist, in my mind. And I learned the hard way how wrong it is to drunk dial a cynical GOP-funded astroturf organization that's headed by a man with dick in his name. Leaving a sarcastic voicemail message should get me blacklisted. Plus, it just upsets the cheerleaders at school. I, I mean, Megan and Monica at Fox News. But thanks to the elite liberal media horse, I now know that there is a better, more positive way to tweak the nipple of Dick Army, Matt Kibbe, and FreedomWorks. For instance, try calling them when you're sober and ask, Do your Christian American followers think an eye for an eye harassment campaign is what Jesus would do? Or ask them, Do you really think circulating misleading health care facts and explicit instructions on how to angrily disrupt Democratic town hall meetings would meet with the approval of our founding fathers? Or Jesus? 
Remind them that it was Griff Jenkins and Fox News that first reported teabagging as the Tea Party's activity of choice. Thanks, Fox, for being fair and balanced on that one. And remind them that when they say they're a populist movement, they're actually referring to the 19th century movement that sought the redistribution of wealth. And early incarnations of Social Security, unions, and the minimum wage. And that the original Tea Partiers were taxed without representation. Whereas teabaggers voted for the representatives, so they should probably just shut the f*** up and read a history book. Whoa. Pueden quedar con Sarah Palin, pero los que soportan a Ron Paul gustaría su Tea Party para atrás, por favor. Ask them who really benefits when you protest against the EPA. While you're being funded by the climate change deniers at Coke Industries. And lobbying on behalf of British Petroleum. Thank them for supporting the new Arizona immigration laws. Pero propongan una enmienda que requeriría la policía que pregunte con un acento alemán. Where are our papers? Or just be bold and ask outright. When do we protest those other big commie socialist programs, Social Security and Medicare? Talk about your big-ass government. We hate those programs. I'd rather die slowly from a preventable disease while living off my children's last dime. Ask them to thank Chairman Dick Armey for his lobbying support of Iranian terrorist organization Mujahideen Ehal. Jesus H. Christ. Number 29 on the USFTO list. Ask to see Dick Armey's birth certificate. Ask them why Pat Robertson is such a total and complete dick. Yeah, that's the Christian Coalition. I still want to know. It's a different PSA. But please, don't drunk dial Freedom Works. Don't drunk dial Freedom Works. Don't drunk dial Freedom Works. Please. Don't drunk dial Freedom Works. Please don't. Don't drunk dial Freedom Works. Not a good idea. Don't drunk dial Freedom Works. Don't drunk dial the Christian Coalition. Don't. You just put down the phone. And whatever you do, do not use the term mentally retarded. It's a sin. Teabaggers cherish political correctness. And honestly, it hurts my feelings. Tweaking the nipple of hypocrites in power can be dangerous and lead to blacklisting. So, take it from me. A famous... Defeat. Socialist. Godless. Pinko. Kenyan. Hollywood elitist. Aquarian. Don't drunk dial Freedom Works. support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestofleft.com and use our amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support. Um, Glenn Beck's very educational. You can learn a lot from him. He will actually explain things to you. 
um, and he's not making things up. It's factual information. They're all fair with their, they, they have people from all parties in there and they, they give both sides. And if you listen to them, then you can make up your own mind and hopefully make an intelligent decision. Well, I think Glenn Beck is great for the dissemination of information. Uh, and to dispel with misinformation. We don't watch CNN. They're a bunch of lying pigs, sure. to put it nicely. And, and all I got to say is, screw you. Um, CNN, I would call a communist news network. Um, MSNBC is just way far out. They're Fabian socialists. And um, No, but you don't think that, I mean, Fox News is someone who has on their network uh, people right out of the Republican Party with Mike Huckabee, Karl Rove, Sarah Palin. You actually have people in the party who are some and sometimes running for office on the network. You don't view that as actually a more obviously biased media? No, not at all, because that's their platform. That is the only platform that they have to express their views in this country. The top ten rated news shows are all on Fox News. I don't, I mean, but you, you speak because as if... a hunger for that information. But you, I mean, we, we, you speak as if you've been victimized by, by liberal media. Absolutely. I've been brainwashed my adult life, my whole life. The lunatic is on the grass. The lunatic is on the grass. Remembering games and daisy chains and laughs got to keep the loonies on the path the lunatic is in the hall the lunatics are in my hall america must get off the space tit Last week, President Obama announced that he wants to give NASA an additional $6 billion, which confused me. NASA is a bank? <laughs> the president said, our goal is the capacity for people to operate and live safely beyond the Earth indefinitely. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, Barry, but right now, our goal is to not be forced to work in mines for the Chinese. Now... I love space as much as the next guy, and by that I mean I enjoy getting high and watching the laser show at the planetarium. And a colony on Mars sounds intriguing, but how about first we send a manned mission to Detroit? <laughs> I realize America has a long, proud history of astronaut star-fucking, but we got to let it go. Because for every dollar this country spends, we only take in 61 cents these days. We have to cut the budget somewhere. Who cares if going to Mars is an adventure? So is a road trip to Palm Springs with Tila Tequila, but that doesn't mean we should do it. If we can't even cut the dream trip to Mars now, when we're broke, what possible chance do we have to cut all the other things that need to be cut, like entitlements and corporate welfare and military spending and farm subsidies and the drug war and the war war? Which is why tonight, <laughs> I'm going to put on my teabagger hat. 
you. And admits they are right about one thing. We have to bring down the national debt. It's insane what the debt costs America every year. We pay about $400 billion just in interests. That's almost as bad as having a credit card with Capital One. But the problem with the Tea Party movement, besides their almost universal rejection of dentistry, <laughs> is that they want money for nothing and chicks for free. They want a deregulated free market and their jobs to stay here in the U.S. They want guaranteed health coverage regardless of pre-existing conditions, but without a big government mandate. They want to call themselves teabaggers and people to keep a straight face. And of course, they want big tax cuts along with deficit reduction. I can't even think of a suitable analogy for that disconnect. It's like thinking getting a hand job will clean your garage. <laughs> now, in fairness, this isn't just the tea beggars. Ask the American people how they want to tame the deficit by raising taxes or cutting spending. And cutting spending wins, always, by a huge margin. Next question. So what government spending do you want to see cut? Answer, nothing. Not a thing. America is like a family that spends way more than they bring in. But mom won't give up her shopping sprees, and dad won't give up that big, stupid boat he bought. Even now, when we utterly can't afford a big, stupid boat. And you know what America's stupid boat is? It's our empire. We have an empire. We have half a million of our troops in other people's countries all over the world. That is our boat. And maintaining that empire and everything that goes into defense costs us about a trillion dollars a year, most of which goes to fighting the Russians in 1978. <laughs> Fighter planes for all those dog fights we get into with the Taliban. Submarines to foil their evil plot to blow up our ships with car bombs. And space lasers to shoot down their exploding underpants. What defense spending really is, is a giant welfare program. A jobs program for defense workers to build crap we don't need. So, scream about handouts. This is what they should be protesting. We spend more on weapons than the next top 50 military powers combined. Let's cut it in half so we only spend as much as the next eight countries combined and see if anyone invades us. So, teabaggers... Teabaggers, if you'll look into that... I will believe you really are, we the people, what about our grandchildren, patriots? But if you're unwilling to cut defense and give up the empire, you don't really care about the debt. And you have to admit, 
You're just a racist, sore loser. Here's your hat. Thanks for listening, everyone. So I have just a couple of notes I want to get through first, and then I want to finish up with uh, part two of my thoughts on uh, tasers and taser abuse, at least the way I define it. And as, as I mentioned the last time I talked about this, the, the second part of this conversation is actually, to me, the, the much more interesting part. So stick around for that. First of all, uh, of course, I'm going to continue to mention that there is a big protest going on at the Treasury Department on June 7th at noon. June 7th at noon, the Treasury Department in Washington, D.C. to protest uh, asking Goldman Sachs to give the money back that they now say they never really needed, uh, $13 billion worth that uh, should be returned to the taxpayers that's being organized by the Young Turks. I'll be there. It's kind of taking place in tandem with the progressive conference that's happening there in town. So if you can make it out to that, obviously do so. If you can't make it out, then there's also a petition you can sign over at goldmangiveitback.com. Secondly, I wanted to mention something, and I'm giving you plenty of notice on this. If you're going to be in or around Chicago on July 29th, I wanted to announce now that that is the magic date that I will be attending a live taping of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and I'm uh, openly inviting anyone and everyone who uh, would like to join me. So tickets aren't even on sale yet, but you can find details about uh, buying tickets on their website. The cost will be $22, and it'll be a fun time, obviously, because it's a fun show. So I'm just letting you know now so that you can be prepared, mark your calendars, get ready to get your tickets, drop me a line to let me know you'll uh, be coming, or at least that you may be coming, and so forth. It is also a brand new month, which means it's time to go and vote over at Podcast Alley. It's an incredibly easy and noble habit to get into. It takes really less than a minute to, to go in, cast your vote, and, and it really does actually help this show get into the top 10 list over at Podcast Alley, where more people are going to find the show from it being exposed there. The easiest way to do that, just go to bestofleft.com and follow the link to Podcast Alley. It'll take you right to where you need to go. Now to just quickly thank a couple of members, Angela H. signed up for a monthly membership uh, way back on uh, January 5th and has stuck with the show ever since. Thank you, Angela. And Kevin B., uh, also actually a brand new member, just signed up for a full year in advance starting on May 21st. Huge thanks to both of those members and all of the members who make the show possible, as I know you're aware by now. Okay, so the taser debate is an interesting one. To quickly bring you up to speed, I am against tasers being used excessively. And so I would make the argument something along the lines of, uh, you know, I, I think that tasers are okay to be used when people are, you know, genuinely threatening or, you know, genuinely criminals in, in kind of a, a hardened sense. But, uh, but for things like, you know, the recent one that almost everyone's heard about, the kid getting tased on the baseball field, or the one from a few years ago of like the guy asking John Kerry a question and the police coming in to escort him away. And then when he kind of slightly resisted asking like, hey, what's going on? What, where are we going? Where are you taking me? They tased him to the ground, you know. So I would bring up those type of scenarios and without fail, the response I would get, either people posting on Facebook in response or writing me emails, they would use scenarios not anything similar 
to what I was talking about. I would say, I think that a kid should be able to, you know, run out on a baseball field and, you know, cause a little bit of trouble and have a little bit of fun because he was drunk and it's not a big deal. And you tackle him and you get him off the field done. Like we've been doing it for a hundred years. So then someone would respond and say, Oh, so I, I see when, so you don't want people to use tasers. So when I have to respond to a domestic abuse situation and we go in and we have to, uh, you know, arrest the guy and he resists and is going to fight with us. We're not allowed to use tasers and, you know, three or four cops have to wrestle this guy to the ground. Like, yeah, that's not anything similar to what I'm talking about. That kind of a scenario is so far askew from the issue we're dealing with that it's really not worth talking about. And so now on to kind of the second half of the conversation, which, as I say, is more interesting, dealing more with, uh, you know, politics, protests, you know, civil activism, that sort of thing. So, you know, since I'm obviously not a law enforcement expert, I really have no care to try to debate specific policies with anyone because I, I don't have a good ground to stand on. I'm not the person to turn to to determine the exact moment at which using a taser goes from excessive to appropriate. What I am here to do is to advocate in a direction. I'm advocating the use of tasers less. I'm advocating that uh, the restrictions for using them be tighter. I don't know how tight, just tighter. And the reason for this is, is a lot to do with the people who are kind of similar to me. They don't have a good grounding for their position, but they kind of reflexively side with the cops. And this often happens even with people who are staunch progressives, who, given in almost any other issue, will side with questioning power. But in this situation, well, if someone's doing something wrong, well, then they deserved it. Uh, they, they knew the risk, so if they chose to do something and step a little bit out of line, then they should have known that they could have been tased and it's their fault and all side with the cops reflexively. And I, I simply think that these people just aren't thinking critically about the issue. And what we should do is reflexively question the use of force. Just reflexively question it, just the way you should reflexively question anything and everything in the world and then support it when it makes sense and not support it when it doesn't make sense if, if it is deemed excessive. And very much the bedrock reason for questioning things, but generally questioning power, for, for us specifically as progressives who want to advocate for change, the overacceptance of force used by law enforcement depresses activism. And now just to say, so I don't get accused of plagiarism or anything, I, I've got a, I heard this recently and got a lot of my ideas on this issue from Citizen Radio. They've been around for a while, but they're kind of a new show to me. I started using a couple of their clips in, in Best of Left recently, and you guys seem to like it so far. So as they were talking about on Citizen Radio, it, whether you've thought about it or not, uh, the fact that you know that you can go out and you can do kind of like a boring protest and, and do something that's not even that big of a deal... And there's always the potential, you know, not not because most cops are going to freak out about it, but that a handful are going to go over the top and you run the risk of being electrocuted. And it, it depresses protest in that way. 
in the same way that, you know, the use of dogs or fire hoses discourages people from even showing up at the protest in the first place. So as I say, I don't know where the, the line is that divides appropriate and excessive, but I'm saying that we as progressives should just advocate in the direction of the people versus the powerful, because the people are the ones who are going to be standing up, demanding change, yelling and screaming in the streets, making a scene, causing trouble, and we don't want to discourage that by reflexively siding with the other side. It's the police who are going to be there, hopefully just trying to maintain order. But if we side with the police too much and too often, it will lead down a road to excusing harsher and harsher tactics, which further depress protest and activism, which is the source of all of the positive change in this country and around the world. So those are my thoughts on this, and that's going to do it for the show. Please continue to support the show by telling everyone you know about it. Set a little goal. Just tell five friends this week and uh, and let them know what you've been listening to. To stay engaged with the show between episodes, you can join up on Facebook and Twitter and even spread the word online that way. For details on the show, including links to all the sources and all the music used in the show, all of that is always going to be in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. The lines black and Oh, oh, oh.